Eucre Media family, Vladimir Proknevsky here, and welcome to episode number 20 of the Eucre Media podcast, where I serve our Eucre Media family with weekly interviews from highly creative people. Now, today's guest is Nathaniel Dotson. He's the founder of TopVid.com and a very popular YouTube channel, also called TopVid. The channel generated well over 648,000 subscribers and well over 70 million views. Wow. Nathaniel, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for your time. Wait, did we pass 70 million views? Man, I'm here to tell you that you're a big deal. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. That's great. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I, uh, I like your setup. I like your intro. One take. <laughs> Not bad for a foreigner, huh? Hey, if you hadn't told me, I wouldn't have even known, to be honest. Well, English is my fourth language. Well, I grew up in the South, so I guess I speak uh, Southern, if that's a language. Yeah. <laughs> several, several languages. I've always found it interesting. It seems like foreigners are so adept at learning other languages because me and the vast majority of the people that I know, it's kind of just like, yeah, we're good with English. We, we know English. We can, you know, whereas you meet somebody from France, a lot of times they know French and English, maybe some Spanish, maybe some Italian, maybe a little German, things like that. Oh, man, it's not by choice. I promise you that. And, you know, I, I think I'm just faking the fact that I speak English. Sometimes, man, there's certain words I don't know the meaning to it. And, if, and certain words I don't even know how to pronounce right. If I say it really fast, then nobody catches on, man. That's the trick. If, if And if it sounds impressive, usually yeah. that's good enough. <laughs> so true. Now, you and I have so much in common. It's crazy. So you come from a family of eight children. I come from a family of nine children. You have five brothers and two sisters. I have six brothers and two sisters. You're a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor's kid. You're your father, right? Yes. How many children yeah. do you have, by the way? Two kids. Me too. So two kids. Uh, do you have a boy and a girl? Yeah, one boy, uh, one girl. Man, you're lucky. I got well, I got two boys, but they're precious. But you know, everyone always wants a boy and a girl, and just stop with that. That's what everyone always tells me that it's. I forget what it's called. It's called like a rich man's family or something like that. And honestly, the best thing about it for me is when my when my wife was pregnant first time around. It was, do you want a boy or do you want a girl? And like, I, I can't say what I preferred, right? Because mm -hmm. you could, you, it's, it's a lose-lose situation. So all I would say is just give me a healthy kid and I'm good. You know what I mean? Healthy kid, I'm happy, right? And it was a girl and she's awesome. She is just the greatest. It's someday if you have a daughter, this is the greatest thing in the world. Like a father with a daughter. I don't know what it is. And then pregnant second time around and it was again, do you want a boy this time? Because you had a girl last time. Do you want a boy? <laughs> and it's just sort of, again, look, I mean, I'd be lying, but I can't be disappointed if it's another girl. But yeah, it'd be cool to have a boy. But like, just give me a healthy kid. And it was a boy. So now next time around, I'm just like, do I want a boy or a girl? And that my response can be, does it really matter at this point? That's true. <laughs> give me, give me whatever. As long as the kid is healthy, and man, I remember right. both of our kids were high-risk pregnancies because they were like 99th percentile, my wife is tiny, and yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster. Now, how old are your wow. kids? Uh, my daughter is two, and my son is going to be turning one in a couple of weeks. His birthday is June 20. Wow. 20. Well, I, I know you don't sleep much anyway, so how, how's your sleep these days? <laughs> Honest, I, I'm such a hard sleeper that even if the kids woke up in the middle of the night, I don't know they would wake me up. My wife's the kind of person who I can walk in the front door. She can be asleep in the bedroom, door closed. You know, the air conditioning can be running. We have these noise machines that run to try to give the kids better sleep. Apparently it works. I don't know. We do that. Uh, but it, it, it masks all the sound. And I could like put it, set a glass down on the counter, you know, three or four rooms away and she'll <laughs> sit up in bed. What's that noise? Whereas me, I, I, when I lived, I lived at this, well, sort of where I, where I live now, but um, not quite. The construction was totally different uh, a number of years ago. And I had bought the, one of these old AirPlay. Well, not really old, but it was an AirPlay speaker that could connect to my iPhone. And um, the I think the, the brand name was Clipsitch or something like that. It was like a $500 speaker. It was very expensive, very loud. And I had it like wirelessly connected to my phone. And I figured this thing is going to wake me up. <laughs> it did. So I huh? – <laughs> And not only didn't it, but I, the alarm that I chose was this person screaming because <laughs> I figured this surely has to wake me up. Um, not only didn't it wake me up, but at like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was, I don't remember exactly. The police were knocking at my door because the person there's somebody who lives across the street, like on a hillside from my house. They were hearing this screaming for three hours 
And finally, I guess somebody, wow. I don't, I'm assuming it was them. Somebody called the police and that finally, when the police knocked on my door, somehow that woke me up, but the alarm clock never did. Man, that's so, a talent. That's a talent. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I do it. I honestly, it's, it's great. Cause I, I, when I go to sleep, the process is I lay down in bed in three minutes, I black out. And the next thing I know, I wake up in the morning and it's just, there's zero recollection. I, I almost never remember my dreams. That's how deeply I sleep. I don't know what it is. I don't take any kind of sleep medication. I've considered taking melatonin to see if it makes it easier for me to wake up. Like maybe I can level Sensor out. Light, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. It's, it's strange, but it's annoying because it's, it's really difficult for me to wake up until I'm up. Like once I get up, boom, I'm good. But it's like breaking the seal, so to speak. It's very difficult. But I mean, it, it depends. There's some nights I sleep three hours, two hours, three hours. Wow. There's some nights where I get a full, if I get seven hours, I'm great. Like that's my optimum. Oh, seven hours is perfect for, especially for a uh, father, seven hours. If yeah. you're getting seven hours, man, you're living the dream. But you know, what's interesting. I, uh, I was a light sleeper. I mean, I, there was a, a point in my life where I couldn't sleep. I mean, I would go to bed thinking I'd get eight hours of sleep, but I'd wake up more tired because I could never fall asleep. But we had, so both of our kids were terrible sleepers. I mean, they would wake up like five times a night. It's how horrible it was. And that totally set off my sleeping cycle. Like now I just fall asleep like that, man. So mm. it, in a way it was a blessing when something is so, uh, I, I guess like, crazy comes into your life and you disrupts your sleep even worse. You would think it would make it even worse, but really actually helped me. So yeah, kids are a game changer. How do you wake up now? If, if uh, nothing wakes you up, what's a, do you have to have like water uh, drip on you or something in the morning? <sighs> I mean, that, that would be ideal. No, I mean, honestly, it's just, it's a matter of my success waking up in the morning has more to do with the time I get to sleep the night before. Cause I know if, if, if I get like that six to seven hours, it's easy to wake up. There's some nights where I don't go to bed till, you know, four, five, six in the morning. And it's like, I don't want at, at that rate, I don't want to sleep seven hours because then I'm waking up at whatever noon or one o'clock in the afternoon. That's crazy. Um, so, you know, those are the mornings when it's still like difficult to be like, shake me free. But it's yeah, I mean, I used to I used to sleepwalk. Apparently, I don't remember it, but apparently I would like people would come over to our house. I get into bed with them and I'd be like, this is my bed. And be like, No, it's not I'd be like, yeah, it is. What are you doing here? And stuff like that. And it, I don't know. I don't I don't really know. It's it's so difficult to tell what goes on because I'm asleep when it's all going on. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like I remember this jarring. It's like being brought back into the world or something. It's it's a very – it's a difficult – I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. And you're not really supposed to wake up somebody who's sleepwalking, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like I know I had an uncle who slept – who would sleepwalk and like he would, he would go outside and get on his bike and ride around wow. the neighborhood at night. And after one time he woke up cause he had turned the shower water on and he woke up when the water hit him, that kind of stuff. But I don't, I don't think I've ever done anything that crazy, but it's, I don't know. It's such, it's such a bizarre thing. Cause it's like, I don't really, I don't like sleeping. I, I like, if I could take a pill and I would never have to sleep again in my life, I would be so thrilled to do that. In fact, there was a time in my life not too long ago, a few years ago, before I was married, where I tried to do the Thomas Edison sleep cycle, which is just work until you're tired, sleep for two hours, get up, work until you're tired, sleep for two hours. And I did it for about a week. How did that work and out? It, it actually wasn't bad. Like as long as you can divest yourself of like this has to feel normal and I want my biological clock to feel normal, like forget about that. Try to try to get over that and just realize you're living to work. And, and at the time I was, I, you know, re, I try to read a lot and I like to study and just learn stuff in general. As long as you kind of just say, this is what I'm doing, it's fine. What's tough is when it's, you know, lunchtime or you, you set up a lunch meeting and it's like 1030 and you are like, I need to go to bed. You know what I mean? But you know you can't go to bed until like 2.30 that afternoon when you get back from whatever So you're like on a totally different meeting. schedule. You're like on European time at that point. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, and it's always changing. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you can imagine, if you can stay up for eight hours at a shot on two hours of sleep, you're like this continual rotating clock where one day maybe you're up from four in the morning to noon, you take a nap, and then you're up from two o'clock to seven o'clock, you take a nap. The next day you might be taking a nap from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock in the morning, and you're up most of the afternoon. You just never know. So it, it, it was very difficult to schedule anything and, you know, I, I sort of had to make the decision that like despite the fact that I don't mind this, maybe I'm getting a decent amount of work done. It's just not working in terms of family stuff and, mm, yeah. and trying to explain it to somebody, you know, like my mom or, or really anybody in my I'll life. Be concerned is, for you and start worrying. I, I don't know that it's, it's just they're just like you're crazy. What are you doing? I'm like, well, 
I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying stuff. <laughs> now, why did you not want to? Why don't you said you don't like sleeping? How come? Is it because you always want to create and work? I just look at it like, man, if you sleep eight hours a night, you spend a third of your life in bed. The the thing I don't want to do is have the the final page of the book of my life say, you know, here lies Nathaniel Dodson. So what? Right. And it's sort of like, what did you do? You had all this time. What did you do with it? Like I look at the time that I'm given just like that, like it's time that I'm given. It's something that's been given to me. I try not to take it for granted. You know what I mean? I waste enough of it as it is, but I really try hard not to waste time. And it's to the point to, to the level where I have a difficult time even sitting down and watching TV. I mean, TV's out the window. I guess I don't have cable. I don't even have Netflix. I don't have any of that stuff because it's like if I'm going to watch something for entertainment, I feel like I have to watch a documentary because at least it's entertaining. I'm taking a break. I'm kind of letting go and I'm learning something. And therein I find value. In addition, you know, people would say, well, there's value in the rest and relaxation watching a TV show. But I've just I don't know. There's just there's been a part of me that that I always feel like I don't know if I'm going to be programming my mind with these moving picture things. I would rather be doing it with something that that even if it's a little more boring or dry, it's something that I can I can learn. And, and I don't know, it's all it's all stuff that, you know, like if you and you and I, as we have a conversation today, there could be things that I reference that are things that I only know to reference because of maybe something I've seen or read here or there. And I just find that it makes conversations that I have with people much more interesting and colorful and like floral or like flowery, like the, the language I can use and the analogies I can draw and things like that. And I like all that stuff. I like all that stuff so much. It's like the creativity of language in the very words you're speaking and being able to use those words to to affect the way people look at you and perceive you and think about you and interact with you. And I, I don't know. I find all that stuff really uh, well, I'm, really I'm the same way. And, uh, you know, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Cause I'm, I don't watch TV at all. Like I'm the same way. Every minute I want to spend it to something where I can better myself, maybe learn something else, something different. Because, you know, you're, you're as good as your last performance and you always want to perform better. And the more skills you acquire, the more valuable it will become to the marketplace. And so you constantly want to grow and develop. And there's always a book to read. There's always a tutorial to watch. There's always something to create and do. But I run into this problem where now my mind is so wired like that. And it's so hard to just pause and relax and truly be in the moment. A lot of times I'm like in the future, in the past, thinking. Yeah. Like there were times where I was spent with, uh, time with my kids and I just like don't remember it because I was I was there but I was not there. And that's where – that's the problem that I run into sometimes. And so it's, it's super hard, especially in this day and age. You can be reached I, so I quickly. Think you're, I think you're very right about that. And it is one thing. Like time with my kids and my wife – I try to be very cognizant when I'm spending time with them. And it's the kind of thing where I'm able to have my studio very close to my house. So, I'm, you know, if, if I want to just stop, you know, around lunchtime, whatever that happens to be that day and run back home and see the kids or, you know, they come over to my studio, you know, they like to play around and, and mess with things and, and, and things like that. And definitely when that happens, I try as best as I'm able to sort of, pause work for a second, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, and just give that undivided attention kind of thing. Um, because I think it was my, I don't remember if it was an uncle or my grandfather who said when I was very young, but it was something that just stuck with me where he said, you know, Nathaniel, I've never met anyone who on their deathbed said they wish they didn't spend quite as much time with their kids. <laughs> that, that was, I didn't have kids, didn't have, didn't even have a prospective wife at the time, but I just, at the time I thought like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And now that I have kids, it's even more so, so kind of like, it's yeah, funny, wow. it's funny you bring that up. Uh, it's very interesting because I used to work at Ohio state medical center as a, I, like back in college, a past trays. And I got to talk to a lot of people that were pretty much on their deathbed and in the heart hospital and the cancer hospital. And yeah, you know, I got to talk to a lot of people, and every one of them, their regrets. Because I'm, I'm, a, I love to go deep. I'm, I'm one of those people. Like if I'm talking, I love talking to older people, especially people that've been through war. I don't know. There's something about that. I just very curious by nature, and I would the always best stuff is there. Yeah, and I, I would dig deep with them, and they, everyone always said, "I wish they spent more time with." One guy actually was, uh, he uh, got a divorce, and he just regrets it so much that I wish I wasn't. He said, "Whatever you do, don't ever go to bed angry." 
nothing's ever a huge deal. Like you should always, always try to uh, ask for forgiveness. And you know, I think the reason why you got in the heart hospital is because of the pain and suffering from just emotional turmoil. You know, dwelling on that negativity for years eventually got him in the hospital, and that was his number one regret. He wishes because he said that was the love of my life, and I totally blew it. And it, he said it with so much sadness in his voice. Man, you had to be like I get, I'm getting chills just, just you know, remembering. It, it is, ki- it is kind of funny because, like especially in the business that I'm in, like I'm a photographer first and so much of what I do, you know, I'll give different talks and presentations. And I read this great book by Simon Sinek called start with why. Mm, And even, even before I'd read it a little dry, but good, good substance. Even before I'd read the book, I had always tried to be pretty, um, self-aware and understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I think I, w- I was pretty religious growing up. Still am, still am a very religious guy. So the idea of like the why on a lot of levels is something that's always been pretty important to me. And one of the things that I'll talk about, and this is before even reading Simon Sinek's book, was just kind of talking to my captive audience when I'm giving this or that presentation, whether it's school or at a convention or wherever it may be. You know, being a photographer, part of the reason I started doing this stuff is because when you take the picture, not only is there the awesome technical side of it where it's, you know, your shutter speed and your aperture and your ISO and the way you're working with the light and your lighting modifiers and location light and, you know, all all these different factors that play into it, depth of field and sharpness and all these all these incredible and wonderful things. But the, the best pictures that you're ever going to take are the ones not that are technically perfect, but the ones that feel perfect. And the, the greatest example of a picture that I can give as an example, I had a client who he's a singer songwriter. He's still alive. He is a singer songwriter. Uh, he grew up on the, the, his, the, the border of his parents' house, literally bordered Mexico. It was very southern Texas, all the way down on the point. And um, his, father, his father passed away a couple of years ago, and he sent me a photo that his wife took of him at his father's bedside days before his dad died and he's playing he's playing the guitar for his dad and he's you know he's singing great singer he won i think it was like america's got talent but the mexican equivalent of that or something so some talent show on tv that was pretty mainline so he had a great amazing voice we went out shooting in this in this warehouse one day and the acoustics you know when you're in this big empty metal warehouse so i'm like dude can you sing a song right here and he just you know started playing the guitar and singing and it's like the reverberations it's awesome but so there's this photo of him at his dad's bedside and it's maybe a little bit more like makes a hair on the back of your neck stand up because he looks a bit like his dad and he's playing the guitar and his mouth is open he's singing he has his eyes closed and he's on he's on the left side of the photo and you see his dad in the hospital bed very obviously on death's doorstep but he's got his hand up on the side of the hospital bed and he's pulling himself up over it like looking at his kid with like this the most genuine smile you've ever seen and it's like ooh that's a that's a picture and it's uh, it, it it was one of those things that like every time I even just thinking about it and, you know, it's it's one of these things that it's like I take pictures because I want you to have pictures of yourself in this state or at a wedding. I want you to have these photos of this big day or I want you to have this film. I was just looking at videos the other day that I didn't remember I'd shot on my C100 of, you know, my daughter when she turned one year old. I had no idea. I I. I I guess I was messing around with the camera or something and I took some videos of her and it's just like, I got to keep doing this stuff. I got to keep saving it, you know, because when I get older, I want to look back at this stuff. And it's so strange because even five, six years ago, like this was not the reason I was doing this stuff. It was for very different reasons. Oh, it's still good reasons. I think in terms of, in terms of building a business and, you know, being the best I can be and things like that. But there's this very like deep rooted from the heart, passionate reason that I, that I love doing the stuff that I'm doing now and just knowing, knowing that I'm doing it. There's a guy I photographed who a few weeks after I photographed him, he committed suicide Mm. and his mother reached out to me and was just like, you know, Hey, do you have any other photos of Chris? You know, and, and he was young. He's like 21 years old, very young guy. He was going to culinary school a whole bit. He was a hilarious kid, but I guess, you know, there was just a lot on the inside that we didn't see. And, you know, so just to be able to send her all these photos of her son, it was the last time he had his picture taken and, you know, things like that. And it's just, you know, it's sort of like, 
you know, if this is your last picture, because you, you truly you truly never know when it's going to be that person's last, you know, whatever. And, and that was that was kind of when that aspect of it opened up to me, grim as it may be. It's, you know, there's an importance to it, and it can be a lot of fun at the same time. That's interesting you bring that up. I have a twin brother. His name is Sergey. And we were talking about, you know, it's like, when do you know if something is good? It's like, it's how you feel, how your whole body feels about it. You know, the first time you see it, hear it, and I was just looking through, I was going through some pictures, my in-laws, and there's this picture. I mean, these pictures were taken on a Kodak. I mean, just like terrible quality, but it's a picture <laughs> of this uh, a funeral open casket, and there's a, a son standing there. Then another picture of that son dead in the casket and his son st- looking at him and then I uh, come to find out that the the youngest his son also died in a car accident and so like the he whole died. family dist- the whole there was no nobody carried the last name and I just remember just I dude I just kept looking at that those two pictures and I looked at their emotions and I just couldn't stop I mean they were like low quality nothing special but you can see what they felt and it carries so much weight because of the story and I feel like these days people get so get carried away with the whole shiny object syndrome. They always want the best camera stuff. But I think it's not so much about the equipment as much of a story. Like Casey Neistat, I think his first video he made was like on a cheap like camera. It was like a... Yeah, they were the P100s. Something or seen, like that, right? And yeah, it went they were viral. P100s, yeah. The it was like the lanes or some yeah. bike lanes or something like that. And so I, I think that's where <laughs> if, if you don't have access to expensive stuff, if anything, work on the good story. Become a good storyteller. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, because stories never go out of style. I mean, Bob Dylan, great story songwriter. He he's not known for his quality of singing. He's not known for great guitarmanship, right? Eric Clapton is the guitar guy. Jimi Hendrix is a guitar guy. Um, you know, Freddie Mercury is a vocals guy. Uh, you know, people people like that. But then you have guys like John Lennon, like like Bob Dylan, who are the storytellers, the songwriters. And I bet you most people would know more Bob Dylan songs than, you know, stuff that That's Freddie so Mercury has written. And it's not that, you know, Queen's got some great stuff. It's no knock if you're out there and you love the band Queen. But it's just it just goes to show the classicness, the 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 fact that it, it never, just never goes out of style. It's never something where you you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, that's. That uh, shag carpets from the ooh, what's that fifties, sixties, seventies, whatever era was all shagged out with the shag carpet. You know those those sunglasses were so eighties, right? <laughs> yeah. Storytelling. You know Julius Caesar was telling stories. You know the the Old Testament and the Bible's yeah, full of stories, stories, right? I mean it's all like the history, the, the known history of mankind is it's story. It's telling stories, and history itself is storytelling. Look at even the Bible. You brought up the Bible. I mean Jesus is a great storyteller, right? In the Bible, that's uh that's pretty much he spoke in parables, and people can right. relate to stories, and it's so true. And I think these days, like I'm watching a lot of times, like on YouTube, you log in, they have like. Their pictures look great and great video content. Everything's so smooth, so perfect, but it's so weak. You know, it's like you're yeah, spending too much money on production, but not enough on the story. And man, it's noticeable. Yeah, forget who it was. I, I heard somebody use the analogy: uh, a beautiful picture without a story is like putting a thousand dollar saddle on a ten dollar horse, hmm. or so, something like that. And I just thought I'm like, that's an interesting way to think about. It. And I think Ansel Adams too, to, to get all my quotes out of the way here. I think it was Ansel Adams that said something like, "There's nothing worse than uh, oh, how does it? Uh, 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 basically, the, the idea is you a uh, picture that's in focus, but uh, oh, how to? I forget. I forget how he put it. The idea is that you have a sharp picture that's in focus, but the story is not in focus. Like the photo itself is in focus, but there's no story. And it's better to have a fuzzy picture of a photo that has a story than 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 Let's vice see. versa. It's the quote is way more. It's like a sentence long, and it sounds good. Not coming out of my mouth. There's a reason Ansel Adams was was a legend, still is. <laughs> <laughs> now let's let's dig into your story. I'm going to call you Mr. Unconventional because you have the most unconventional path to how you got to where you got. And first, I mean, you come from a family of eight and you were uh, next to the oldest, right? Yes. And so is anyone in your family in the creative field or are you the only one? No, we all grew up doing construction. So I grew up like as a teenager, I always wanted to have a roofing company. I don't know why I picked roofing because I hate the heat. Um, and I don't necessarily like being out in the sun for long periods of time. So I don't really know why that was where I wanted to to go, but I grew up doing a lot of like hardwood, inlaid wood, marble, glass, tile, that kind of, you know, flooring, wall, bathroom type stuff. And yeah, most of my brothers still do that. 
we got one younger brother who's been getting into martial arts lately. But yeah, pretty much we're all still into construction. My sisters are into teaching and, and my, my one sister's kind of getting into some of the art stuff, uh, art and video editing and, and things like that. But but she hasn't really she hasn't made the deep dive yet in terms of, you know, kind of knowing her way around the camera. But, uh, you know, hey, we all got to start somewhere. No, that's pretty cool. You know, it's interesting coming from a big family and. I know somebody who has like 12 kids and I remember I heard their story. They were telling me how the youngest one in the family, he got upset at his mom or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to teach mom a lesson. I'm just going to run away from the house. And like two days later, nobody's looking for her. <laughs> then he finally walks in like three days later and like everybody's like, oh, hey, nobody noticed that he was gone because you have yeah. so many people in the family. And anything like that happen in your family? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, there's there, of course, there's like family drama and, and just dumb stuff. But the, I mean, there have been there have been some crazy things. I had a, a, a nephew who passed away when he was oh, 10 months old or 11 months old. And I was supposed to donate my liver to him like I'd volunteered to donate my liver to him. He needed a, a liver transplant because he had this wow. this medical condition where the the duct that would normally drain the bile out of your liver just he was like born without it. And or it was some, something was wrong. I believe he was straight up born without it. So it wasn't something where you could say, oh, take this medicine, you'll get better. Mm-hmm. It just it would be like being born without a leg and expecting aspirin to grow you another leg. It's just it's not happening. So the crazy part about it is it's not something people really die of. Uh, he was his case got pretty severe, but we were re- we were pretty optimistic about it. The hospital we were taking him to is a great children's hospital. And um, the my the. Like my surgery kept getting delayed and I I wasn't really getting a clear answer on why it was being delayed. It sort of seemed like – I try to be an optimistic person but I feel like half the time I'm pessimistic. But it sort of seemed like they – I don't know. For whatever reason, my surgery kept getting delayed. And on the day before I was supposed to go into surgery, I was set to go in for my – like the final test before surgery would be approved on August 2nd of 2010 – and Sunday, August 1st, 2010, uh, he, he died that night. Like literally it would have been hours before I was supposed to go in for my, oh, wow. like my test and everything. And so like, that's, that's one of those weird things where it's like, whoa. And this was before I had done any kind of photography or video editing. It's one of the things that kind of drove me to like, all right, time to turn your life over a little bit. Um, I was 20 years old. Um, I dabbled in Tutvid. I'd maybe done a hundred videos on Tutvid, Illustrator, and the Go Live, Adobe's old WYSIWYG web editor, um, and some things like that. But I, I wasn't really taking any of it that that seriously. It was just kind of like figure out where you're, figure out where this whole thing's going. And then when that happened, it was kind of like, whoa, this is like this is shaking the foundations of you know what are you doing with yourself and you know all of this that I just so take for granted. And, you know, so I started a few months after that. I was in a, a, a bizarre relationship at the time, and that kind of blew apart as well. So I kind of like jumped into photography and, you know, just everything just kind of took off from there. So I always like to tell people, you know, if I have if I had the opportunity, I should say, to sort of go through the transformative effect of what all of that did to me without the obvious pain of this bizarre relationship blowing to pieces and of course the you know far more importantly losing my nephew i would do it again in a heartbeat uh, even even suffering through some of the pain just like outwardly don't make another family member die part of it you know what i mean because it was it 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 sort of made me grow up it took me from this boyish very shy person i mean i guess i i kind of overcome some of the shyness using a series of rather interesting techniques, but I, I'd worked to overcome that and just sort of transformed into more of this, this man who was like, all right, I'm going to practically get into some of what I'm talking about on my YouTube channel. I'm going to pick up the camera. I'm going to go out and learn how to shoot. I'm going to learn how to work with off camera flash. I'm going to learn why I'm doing this, how I'm going to do it, the direction I want for my business, for my channel, for everything that I'm doing. And, you know, most importantly, just the idea that, well, you know, you can't take this time for granted. You know, this this little guy had 10 months for crying out loud. You know what I mean? So is there any way that I can take the little bit of time he had and maybe make it this force multiplier for what I'm doing? And for the most part, it works. I'm still I'm, a, I'm such a bad procrastinator. It's <laughs> probably the thing that I'm like fighting most. And it's such a frustrating thing. But procrastination is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I actually say most creatives deal with that. But, you know, I was looking through your work. I think it was About Us page or maybe on Facebook somewhere. And you have a quote that kind of relates to what you were saying. You said, pain teaches me, passion drives me. 
So it sounds like, you know, you, you learn a lot from your pain, especially losing someone so close to you. Yeah, I think there's, I forget who it was. There was somebody who told me or something I read somewhere that the, like facts can only teach you so much or, or basically the idea was that the facts of the situation only reinforce what you already want to believe or not believe. And the idea was that the big sort of emotional moments in your life tend to serve to be the most teaching and transformative moments in your life, right? Like on a gut level, I hate that because I like if I could do away with the majority of emotions in a heartbeat, I would because I feel like I'm best served living a very rational thought out, you know, this is right, this is wrong, do this, you know, to make this happen and make that happen kind of life. You know what I mean? Where it's not just, oh, I want to do it because it feels right. But like you referenced earlier, like what's a good picture? There's not a handbook. There's there's no objective reality in terms of what a good photo is. There's you can look at a photo and say technically it's an, it's a great photo, but it's so boring. Right. So is it a good photo? You know what I mean? And like you said, you can have a crappy just Kodak, you know, with the flash going in a dark, dimly lit funeral parlor. But it's telling such an incredible story. It's a great photo, albeit not being a technically good photo. And it's that feeling that comes from that piece of artwork, that that video you watch that, you know, even even something as dumb as like a, a transition. Right. What's the right speed for like a whip pan transition in premiere or final cut? The answer is as good enough to look good or as fast enough to look good. Right. And, and so this is just a feeling. It's just something you see, you feel, you're like, yep, it's right. Feels right. Right. And we say that all the time with, you know, the paint color we chose or, you know, the lighting technique or the color, the background color for our website or whatever it may be. It's usually, yeah, it feels right. Let's go with that. That feels good. You have a, such a rich perspective on a lot of things. And you know, look at your resume. I mean, at age 12, you, you started learning the stock market and Photoshop. You sold stuff on eBay at age 13. You used to make wedding cakes, and apparently you dropped one in front of like 400 people. <laughs> Glad it wasn't my wedding. That was the way. last wedding cake I ever made, <laughs> yeah, I was too, about for to the say, record. Yeah, it probably didn't help your career. You yeah. also experienced some great losses at the very young age. You were losing like $400 a day at age 14. I mean, that's that's a lot of money today. And then at the age of 16, I believe, right, you started your website and YouTube channel, yep. and then where you cover all kinds of topics. And then now you're starting this podcast, which is high production. Everything about you, you have like 868 videos on YouTube, I believe, and every single one of them is like high, solid production. And then like the podcast, it's, it's like a cinematic experience, man. It's You listen <laughs> to it, there's this music, voice, it makes me feel like, man, I need to step it up. <laughs> but where is this drive coming from? I'm glad it makes you feel that way because that's part of what I'm doing. I want to drive the sort of I, – I always look around me and it seems like we – and I, I myself do it. I'm still not the best at it, right? We, we always seem to settle for like just too little. That being said, you do have to balance it against like I would rather you be getting this podcast out than be doing nothing because you can't produce the most amazing whatever because I'm, I'm getting ready to start vlogging as well here coming up. And when that begins, it'll just be a once a week thing. There's, I'm not going to have time to vlog every day. But you know, there's a part of me that's like there's no way it's going to look like Peter McKinnon or Casey Neistat or you know, pick pick your, your druther of these incredible vloggers. But I just had to stop myself and say, you know what? The purpose of me vlogging is not going to be to share this incredible cinematic transition or to have, you know, speed ramp drone footage down to me catching the camera on the ground. Right. It's not it's not anything about these fancy cuts and having the most amazing cinematic music and and all of that. Just as much feeling can be derived from a great story as can be derived from, whoa, this like lifts my chest when I watch this video. The music is so uplifting and incredible. And a lot of times, quite frankly, I, I don't know about you, but I got to the point where like watching vlogs like fun – is it fun for Louie or fun with Louie? I can't remember. It's a really great travel vlogger. I got to the point where like I hated when he would do like the little cinematic cuts mm. because I just want – just tell me the story, dude. I don't care. I don't want like a 30-second montage in slow motion and you know it's be it's pretty to look at but you know like even one a week felt like too much. I just wanted – tell me the story of you going down to Lima, Peru or like wherever it is that they're headed and whatever they were doing. So that's that's kind of where I am with the vlogging but at the same – on the same exact wavelength, I'm like – if if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. 
So, you know, in, in whatever capacity I have, I'm going to do it as well as I can. And it's funny because like with, with the podcast, I just launched at the beginning of this month, but I've been working on launching it since the beginning of January in terms of getting my initial guests lined up, buying any additional gear I needed and equipment and sorting out the logistics. And the podcast works not by me sitting in my studio and recording, but I'm actually going out to these people's places. And if I need to fly across the country to go somewhere or wherever, like that's the way I'm, I'm doing it. And mainly because I don't know of anyone else who's doing a podcast like that. So I want to do something that's a little different. And, and also just because I think it's kind of interesting, I can get somebody in their environment where hopefully they're more comfortable and we can have good, maybe deep type conversations about who knows what, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And where can people find the podcast, by the way? Uh, you can just go to the Dodcast.com. It'll redirect you exactly where you need to go. So the Dodcast, D-O-D cast, just like podcast, but Dodcast. Uh, and you can also find all the video episodes go up on my channel. YouTube.com slash tutvid, T-U-T-V-I-D. Now, you're doing all these things, all, I mean, podcasting, vlogging now. Which one do you enjoy doing the most? If you had to choose one, if, if somebody said, look, you have to choose one, which one would it be? It's, that's so hard for me because I really scaled back my web design business recently. Well, recently, like two years ago, because like I was doing the web design stuff, I was doing photography and I was doing tutvid and I just, there's just not enough time. But I want to do all that. I'm, I'm trying to start like a sports channel as well, you know, to cover all kinds of sports stuff and, you know, have people come on as commentators and, and do that. And I, my real passion is cooking. Like I want to be a yeah. chef and, and I want to start a cooking channel. So, you know, it's, it's, but of course, you know, I still love all the Tutvid stuff as well. So there's a part of me that's like, how do I give up any of this? All I want to do is keep adding to it. If I had my druthers, here's what I would do. I would get rid of all the tutorials altogether and probably do vlogging and podcasting. And the, the sole re well, there's two reasons. Number one, I love traveling, talking and meeting new people and having that face to face conversation. Absolutely love it. Like even if the podcast never turns into anything, just being able to meet up and talk with new people, like that's the whole reason I started. I didn't start it to get a hundred thousand views. If a hundred thousand views happens, great, but that's not why I started it. I just started it because I love it. So I would keep that and some sort of vlogging face, like my face on video where people can get to know me. Because the biggest drawback of the tutorials is for the most part, you don't garner the same like emotional connection with your audience as somebody who is like a face to face guy on video. Right. Even if you're doing live streams all the time, just where people can see your face, they get to know you in a different sort of way. And I'm still not quite sure what that is. But one of the first people to do it tutorial wise was Flurn, where he always had video up and they were like the first Photoshop channel to hit a million subscribers on YouTube. And, you know, one of their calling cards was just like his face was always on video. So that, you know, when I started, you know, thinking about that, it's part of the reason that I have the intro for my video. There's no, there's zero reason for that intro other than just saying, guys, it's me. I like you. I hope you like me. And here's like a quick 15 seconds where you can maybe sort of get to know me a little bit. That's the entire reason for the intro. It really serves no utilitarian purpose as much as I try to be super utilitarian. But the purpose that it does serve is it establishes that connection with the audience and, and sort of pushes them to engage more. Like I've noticed I've made more sales of my product on my website in the, in the whatever two years now that I've been putting my face on video. Hmm. It just makes a difference. You get more comments. And the thing that changed for me was seeing Flurn succeed, but he also had some videos that blew up. So it could have been that as well that pushed him up to like a million views. Um, but also looking around at some some... I don't want to say smaller YouTubers, but YouTubers who weren't quite as big as I was at the time I started, I probably had like 150,000 subscribers, maybe like two years ago. The last two years have been the best two years of the channel ever. Wow. We've grown, we've grown fantastically, but I would see these other people on YouTube who put their faces on video and you know, I'm getting more views than them. I've got more subscribers. I've got it from all, for all intents and purposes, a bigger channel, but I'm getting, you know, 10 comments on a video and they were getting like 150 or 200 comments. And I would sit there and be like, now what is the difference here? And the different, the two differences I could find were like, they're talking about an opinion piece, something like that. You know what I mean? If somebody wants to talk about politics, of course, you're going to get, you know, inflammatory, everything going this way and that way. 
So there's that compared with my tutorial where a lot of people are just Googling to try to find a problem and they find a tutorial, watch it, and they're on their way. But then the other thing was the fact that these people, you could see them. It was like a friend. You know what I mean? Like you can see me. I can now see you. So now when I hear your voice, when I hear your name, I'm hooking it to your face. I can see your mannerisms, you know, all, all these different things as we're, you know, you and I video chatting for this podcast, that is, you know, and and, and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to start trying to do it. And I, you know, I got basically double the comments overnight and I noticed I was getting more sale, like two to three times the number of wow. sales that I had been getting. This is so relevant for us. Like me and my brother were just talking about this. I mean, look at Casey Neistat, for example, like everyone feels like they know him because his face is always on the camera. He always tells you the stories. Yeah. And man, there's definitely a lot of truth in that. And that's something my, myself and Sergey, we're, we're going to step up on the whole vlogging thing because people connect on a much deeper level when they see, you, when you take your camera in your house and you show your kids, your family, they feel like they're part of the whole yeah. family, you know? And that's definitely something that I'm taking from this. This is definitely very timely and it's a confirmation for me. <laughs> now, I want to circle back to some things I wrote in my hand because I was like, man, I, I got to ask you. So you, you said you like to cook. What are some yes. uh, things that you like to cook the most? Or any your favorite dish. Well, my I don't I don't really have a favorite dish. Right, it's like asking me what my favorite song is. It changes all the time. So like right now, I would have to say like a really well done chicken or veal parmesan is probably like where I am. But I'm also like I'm I'm always in pursuit of the best steak. You know what I mean? Like cooked perfectly, got to have it rare with a nice char on the outside, some unsalted butter and some like either rosemary or chives and, you know, baste that bad boy up, let it rest, some nice thick slices, of course, against the grain. You can never go wrong with that. But it's just the technique for me. Like, cooking is so interesting because it like it takes that that love for creativity of really any kind. I mean, I grew up doing like we, we were doing floors like we did um, a house down in North Carolina out, out on the Outer Banks, for instance, where we put the – there are three famous lighthouses on the Outer Banks. We carved them into the marble, like carved dolphins in around them, like really kind of ornate stuff. So we were always doing this stuff and my dad and one of my younger brothers in particular is really good at this stuff. And you know, it's just this thing where like I want to make stuff and food is – the beautiful thing about food for me is I can have so much fun creating it. I'm making something right there. It's right there. And then I can immediately share it with everybody and get feedback. And I'm half Italian. And like the essence of Italian cooking is just like beautiful, high quality ingredients, simply prepared. You know what I mean? You take some tomato, you take some mozzarella <laughs> and you take some basil and, and some olive oil and some balsamic vinaigrette. Boom. You've got this beautiful dish, a nice caprese salad. And, you know, it's just stuff like that where – I don't know. I, I love it so much, but it's it's also like, you know, I'm always talking about food. Like if I, I'm out in San Francisco, you know, I'm after my stuff with Adobe. I was out there a couple weeks ago. It's like I one day was spent just trying to find the best sushi place in town. Like I tried all these different sushi places. The next day it was trying all these other different restaurants. And, you know, there's just there's just this pursuit of, you know, who makes the best handmade spaghetti? Who makes the best sushi? Where can I get the best this dish, that dish? You know, my Uber drivers, you know, I had a guy from Russia. We were talking about borscht. I was going to uh, ask you, know, you just, like, I'm going to challenge you to make borscht next time. <laughs> I've never – see, the thing is I hate beets. Beets oh. are like – beets and eggplant are two foods – Beets, eggplant, and raw oysters. Those are like my three. I can't stand raw oysters. It's the trifecta of th the three foods that are so – like they make my gag reflex go. And it's so bad because there are plenty of like normal foods. I hate carrots. I don't like cheesecake. There's so many like normal foods that I should like. Everybody always makes fun of me. I don't like coffee. I don't like tea. I don't like hot chocolate. So there's a lot of foods like that that I don't like, but I understand the way they should taste. So if I'm making it mm. for somebody, I'm like, that's okay, that's sweet enough. That's the way it should taste. I don't like the way it tastes, but that's the way it should taste. So everybody also like it. And apparently I make a great cheesecake. I wouldn't know because it tastes disgusting to me, but everybody else raves about it. So I, you know, it, it's things like that. And I, I don't know. It's just stuff like, dude, it's like stuff I find interesting. I just want to know as much as I can about everything, like everything. I want to learn about the French revolution. I want to learn about, you know, 
where Mongolian cooking originated from. I want to learn about, I was just, I just watched something on the Siberian air, uh, like the, the airspace over Russia, how they sell it to these airlines. And it only started in like 1991 of the fall of the Soviet bloc. And all, like, you know, I don't know, it's just like all this stuff. And I'm like making little notes, like, ah, oh, look that up, look into that, see if you can find a book on this. So it's just every, like everything around me. I want to know how paint's made. I want to know, you know, it's just everything. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like Man, everything I, in my life. I feel like you're describing me because it's the same way. <laughs> at, at times, like I said, it's so hard to like disconnect and stop. Like uh, when people tell me they're bored, I, I don't understand. How can people be bored? There's so much to learn. Like, how are you I'm bored? Right, I'm right there with you. I, I like from, from the time I was like 15 years old, I, I would tell people, I'd be like, I think I was bored once in my life. And I'd say it in like this like super douchey, arrogant, like shut up kid kind of way. Like, how could you be bored? I'm, I think I was bored once in my life. Um, <laughs> That's but so I, I mean, I think there was truth to it. Cause like ever since I was young, I mean, it was just, I was homeschooled. So I was like, get this school out of the way as quickly as possible and let's go play around with the stock market or try to start this eBay business or like whatever, whatever it was, there was always like, let's go, 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 go. Let's just do something. And it wasn't like at that young age, it wasn't any kind of introspective. Someday you're going to be lying in a casket and people are going to walk by. It was just what I wanted to do is I, I loved it. And as I've gotten older, it's kind of been like, I like where things have gone for the most part. You know what I mean? There's, I'm always looking to improve things. I'm only 28 years old. I got a lot of room for Wow, improve. you're only 28. My goodness. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting you say that because you know, growing up, I grew up with a family of nine. We grew up in Kiev, Ukraine, three-bedroom apartment, no washer and dryer. Mom had to wash everything by hand. You know, just I remember we had to, like, take turns to go outside to play because we only had, like, one, just a few pairs of shoes. And we had to share a toothbrush and all that stuff. So I grew up, wow. like, with so much lack. And so when I finally moved to the United States and finally had an opportunity to, to do something, so I felt like I always had this... I don't know, like catch up with stuff. I was like, man, I, I missed out on so much. So I, that drive originated from lack that we always had. And now I have these opportunities thrown at me. I'm like, I can't mess this up. I just want to grab it all. I want to grab it now. And the more I learn, the more hungry. It's kind of like you, you're never satisfied. The more you learn, the more you want to learn. Well, it's, it's funny, too, because I hear people, I'll see people like joking around online. There was this guy uh, that Joe Rogan had on his podcast who he, he talked about the immigrant mentality in some of these like mixed martial arts fighters. And I think there's something to it. Like when you come from something like you, like you're saying, how many American kids have to experience like, yeah, we ate our cereal with a fork so my brother could use the milk after I was done. You know, that kind of thing. You know, not a, not very many people here go through that. So there's there's I think there's a different drive. Like I would 100 percent affirm that there's probably a lot that I take for granted that I don't even think about. And it's not to say like I didn't grow up – I grew up far from wealthy. Like I did not grow up in a, a great situation. But like I had like my brothers and I, we all had shoes. We you know, we, we had a washer and dryer in the house. We had all kinds of things that a lot of people it, – it almost seems like a little thing to me. You know what I mean? Because it was just it, always there. You just so take it for granted. There's something to that. I don't know. It's it's – it's interesting to think about and especially being a dad because like there's a part of me that wants to provide the best for my kids. But there's another part of me that's like if I don't make it difficult, like is there anything worse than like the hedge fund billionaire's kid? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everybody knows that kid is just going to – he doesn't know what it's like to, to struggle for what you've got. And maybe some of them do, but you like to generalize. There's there's just that image, that sort of stereotypical hedge fund billionaire kid who lives out in the Hamptons. He's had everything handed to him and he's demanding everything of everyone. And, you know, there's there's no humility and there's no sense of hard work like and that's that goes back to the quote that that you pulled off of my page about pain teaches me like there's something to that pain. You know, when when you're told something, you hear it. But when you experience the pain of not following through, then you understand it on a, on a just a whole different level. And there's there's something about it. it's not pleasant, it's not right. fun. I'm not I'm not saying it's always fair because it's not sometimes. But even in the situations where it's not fair, there's always something that you can extract from it to make you a better, a stronger, more lethal, more powerful, more intelligent, whatever it may be person, you know, business practitioner, uh, whatever it may be. But you know, it's interesting you say that because most people always want to hear my story like, wow, it must have been terrible for you growing up in such terrible conditions. And you know, I lived in the first world and a third world. And I tell you one thing, man, 
people in the third world countries, the standards are lower. There's a different kind of pain because of lack of physical things and what whatnot. But in America, because the standards are so high, just you have to keep up with the Joneses. There's a different kinds yeah. of pain. Both experience pain. The, you know, there's emotional pain and there's a physical pain. So I feel like in, in a lot of ways, it's a lot harder to live in the United States because the pressures are so much higher. Well, what do they say? That America consumes three quarters or eighty percent of the world's antidepressants. That's yes, exactly right, man. And so that's that's pain, you know. Yeah. So you can have all the physical things in the world, but it's it will not satisfy. So it's kind of like, as a human, you're going to go through pain, regardless if you live in the first world, second, third. But I like Casey Neistat quote, going back to Casey Neistat. I like how he said, I spoil my kids with experience versus things. I'm in a position now where I can give my kids different experiences that I didn't have, and that will only enrich their lives. And I think if anything, instead of spoiling kids with you know technology and all those things that really don't add to their experience, creativity. I think it's best to uh, throw in some good experiences, go travel a little bit. I'm going to send my kids to Ukraine where my family lives, where they still have an outhouse and all that stuff for the summer. Just like, hey, go experience the tough life, you know, go work. Yeah. And, so I think sure. you know, there's, a, there's a lot there. So, But one last, you know, circle back to one more thing that you mentioned. You, you mentioned that you were shy growing up. Can you share some of those techniques that you used to overcome that? Because so you're not shy anymore, clearly. Of all... <laughs> I would say much the opposite. I So when I was growing up, I was – I don't really know why I was shy. I did competitive gymnastics when I was a youngster up until I was like 15. I was, I was not any good. Like don't let the word competitive fool you. I was awful. Not much competition when it came to me. But um, it was I like you know running around in these like biker shorts and like a little tank top. I always remember like hating it. And I'm like what am I doing? What is going on? Like seriously – and then I like fell on my head one day and like cranked my neck really badly. And it was like, wow. not happened. Like never again, we're not going there. And, you know, I finally convinced my parents to let me quit. But so I, there's something, there's something that about that whole experience that like it, it did something to me in not a good way. And I feel like, I don't know, that shyness kind of came out of that. But then it was, you know, kind of like by the time I was 17, 18, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 19, right around that time, like when I had moved out very quickly realized being out on your own and being so shy that you don't want to come out of your bedroom, they, they don't really go together. And that's a little extreme. Like I would come out of my bedroom and stuff, but you know, I was, I didn't enjoy talking to people. I can say I enjoy confrontation. Like it's not that I want to like punch somebody, but I don't mind it. If I get pulled over, I always go to court just because <laughs> I love standing there and arguing my case in front of the judge. There you go. Um, I just I love it. I don't know. I love that interaction now. But when I moved out, it was it was something that was born out of if you want to be good at business, you should probably get good at talking to people because it's a really useful tool to have and really important to be able to convey your message the way that you want it conveyed and not leave it up to somebody else to interpret it the way that they want to interpret it or any number of things. And I'm still honestly working on that because the way and honestly Doing this podcast, I've been able to kind of look at the way that I interact with people, and there's some stuff that kind of makes me cringe, if I'm being honest, that I'm really working on. One of which is almost every time I crack a joke, I do this like (laughs) kind of laugh (laughs) after it, which a joke is never funny if you laugh at it yourself. You just – a comedian tells a joke. I mean imagine you go to a comedy show and the comedian's standing up there telling jokes, and he's laughing at all his own jokes. And you're like, dude, get on with it. Let us (laughs) laugh. But it's so difficult to do in the moment because you have to have supreme confidence in what you're saying because there's no audience there to laugh for you. And it was something I realized I was doing and I didn't even realize I was doing it until I watched myself back and was like, okay, now for the next batch of podcasts coming up, I'm really going to try to be cognizant not to like laugh at my own jokes just as a little example. But anyway, that's just me being hypercritical of myself, I guess. So I moved out and I lived across the street from this mall and I just I, – I asked myself, what Nathaniel, as, as I so often do when I wander around and speak to myself, what are you most scared of? What are you most afraid of? Well, beautiful women, of course. I'm a 19-year-old boy. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of beautiful women. OK, well, there just so happens to be this mall across the street from your house. Why don't you go over there and set yourself a phone number limit? That you have a certain time frame to get a certain number of phone numbers from girls 
And the whole goal is just find a way to open a conversation and establish enough rapport with them fast that you can get their phone number. So I started doing it and it was it was kind of like try to get 10 phone numbers in an hour. That was kind of my go to one phone number wow. every six minutes. Did right? it happen? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally knew I was getting good at it when I got a girl's phone number when she, she was there with her boyfriend. Whoa. And I got her to give me her number in front of her boyfriend. And it was something where her boyfriend was even like, hey, dude, I'm standing here. And I just looked at him and I was like, yeah, everyone makes mistakes. Don't worry. <laughs> but then again, you're into bodybuilding. You're not exactly a little guy either. Well, I the, the I, I never called a single one of these girls. Like if, if, if I was like a practicing. square hand to my heart kind of guy, I'm not that kind of guy. But if I was like I legitimately never called a single one of these girls. It was purely something done out just for the exercise. My favorite move was I, I would take two men's shirts off of a rack and I would hold them up and I'd find like, where's a woman? Where's a woman? Ah, there's a girl and walk over. And it would, the opening line was always, which one of these do you think would look better on me? So smooth. Cause, cause it, uh, look, come on the ladies, they always know what looks best on us. So I just figured this is the perfect <laughs> opener and that was it. And it was, you know, it was, it got to the point where it was kind of easy and it was a lot of fun, but it, it really, what what it did was it helped me it helped me realize that other people don't see the the struggle going on inside of you all they see is what you present to them so if you present a bulletproof image of a confident you know strong person who is maybe a little funny maybe a little charismatic maybe a little charming whatever like whatever you naturally are let all that stuff come out stop suppressing it and you'd be surprised at how much people respond to that kind of stuff. It makes it makes conversations fun to just be like, I don't care. That's that sucks, or this is great, or you know, to just have to finally have a conversation with somebody who's actually honest with you. It's so refreshing. And there's I can't even tell you the number of times I'll have a conversation with somebody where they'll they'll laugh at me in the middle of our conversation because I've said something wildly ridiculous. But it's just sort of like that's what I was going to say at the moment. So I just let it out and it just establishes this little piece of rapport between me and the person I'm speaking to and just as like, hey, everything's OK here. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm good with whatever you say. I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say. So I hope you're good with it as well. And there's some people who it, it pushes away, but not many, not many at all. Most people it's I found that it's something where most people find it refreshing. And and that, uh, quite frankly, for me is kind of refreshing because, you know, working with a lot of people, a lot of times people are very, very guarded. And I think there's some things you should be guarded about. Right. You know, there's some things that, that stay in the house. But there's a lot of stuff where it's just like, let it out, dude. Let it out. Yeah, most of the time when I interview people, I tell them, like, like I'm super nervous. <laughs> so I'm, you know, this is, English is my fourth language. Don't expect, you know, Peter Jennings. I don't I can't think of anybody else. Who Tom Brokaw. Yeah. So this NBC is gonna, Nightly News. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'm well aware of my limitations. And so sometimes it's sad how, how many people don't follow through because of those little insecurities. I remember my coach in high school, a soccer coach, he's a pretty cool guy. And I remember he, he told he told us this story. He said, look, have you ever seen a guy walking with a beautiful, gorgeous girl, but the guy's like, you know, not exactly, <laughs> not on the same level. And, yeah. and they're like, we're like, yeah. He's like, well, do you ever wonder how did he, you know, get the, the girl? We're like, nope. He's like, he asked. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's like most of the time, the most prettiest girls are the ones that never get any attention because everyone assumes that no right. one's talking to. And it's kind of, you know, it could be applied to anything because most people yep. settle for less because they assume and because of their lack, you know, their limitations, they don't believe in themselves. And so that's an interesting exercise. Yeah. When, when mom, when mom would ask you and all your brothers to do something around the house, but not assign it to a specific person, everyone assumed that someone was going to do it. So <laughs> nobody ended up doing it. You're speaking right? from experience it's, there. Huh? It's the same, but it's the same exact principle, right? So you true. assume that everybody's asking this beautiful woman. So I certainly have no shot, but everybody's thinking that. So yep. nobody's asking. Her, so you actually have a great shot. Man, so true. And man, we can probably talk about this for hours. Man, I enjoyed talking to you, but I realize I'm taking you over. So I better wrap this up. So I'm going to ask one last question. Now, how can, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way is, well, on my YouTube channel, I try to read every comment. Uh, but right now, Instagram is my my go to social media. I pretty much answer every DM, except some weird ones. I had a guy send me <laughs> pictures of himself in underwear the other day, and I'm like, <laughs> you get the block button pretty quick oh, when it comes man. to that kind of stuff. 
But other than that, if you keep it kind of normal, like you'll pretty much always get a response on Instagram. If you hit me in the DMs, uh, my Instagram handle is just tutvid, T-U-T-V-I-D. That's probably that, that and, and, and of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel because that's, that's where the, the meat and potatoes of the, the information is coming from. Man, I enjoy this conversation. We should do this again. Maybe do yeah, it for sure. Like 20 episodes from now, do another one. Sure. I'll have to come down. You're in, you're in North Carolina? Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. yeah, so I'll have to come down to Charlotte. It's a cheap flight from Philly to Charlotte. Oh, man, come on over. Shoot, shoot a podcast down there or something. Man, that'd be a lot of fun. Hey, that'd thank you good. so much again for your time. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nathaniel Dotson. Make sure to check out tutvid.com. That's T-U-T-V-I-D.com. Make sure to check out our expressions course. It is now live. You can find it at euchromedia.com slash expressions. All the links and resources mentioned in this episode are also available on our website at euchromedia.com slash 20. Don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook. Simply go to euchromedia.com slash community. We have over 2,000 people in this group. It is a great resource for those of you trying to grow. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Media Podcast. Bye-bye.